0: What am I doing if I'm not living poetry in play? I've stumbled onto how to find the sublime and the basic. It's there. Like a kid digging for dinosaur bones in the sandbox, I found it, and more. This is Studio Confessions, the podcast. I am your host, Luis Martin, the art engineer. Listen in for conversation with artists and makers as we talk about their creative practice and what moves them. Let me share my wax poetic monologues on how to activate your creativity to live an inspired and more beautiful life. That's right, I said beautiful. Welcome to the studio. I'm glad you're here. I stood at the foot of the Buddha. Though I was only as tall as his big toe, it was easy to scale his body to arrive at the shelf on his belly. I sat with my legs crossed, with my back to the world. I settled into the safe space between my eyes and his distant, jolly gaze. My grandmother had always told me to rub his belly for good luck. His black plaster flesh was outlined by delicate gold brush strokes. The Buddha was a landmark behind the door to our apartment. He granted access to worthy guests and spooked away the undesirable ones. I spent many days laying on the jungle of our green shag carpet with the Buddha. He would offer his wisdom, and I would show him my outfit combination for the upcoming school week. He liked it when I wore suspenders, but suggested I leave the beret at home. I got the feeling he wanted to wear it, more than he didn't like them on me. Shrines like these were scattered all over our apartment. Altars to saints and celebrities peppered the studio apartment we lived in. In my grandmother's decor and psyche, they occupied the same space. Perched on her waxing moon, Donna Summers often winked at me, on my way to and fro from the bathroom. Meanwhile, the porcelain cats on the lower shelf of our faux chinoiserie barked every time before an earthquake. It was as unnerving as it was amusing. I'm not crazy. I must have been seven then, not yet smoking, but already brewing espresso on the Easy Bake oven I kept under my bed next to my Barbies. While I was away at school, I pictured Barbie with the other dolls I had. In the trenches, they'd be fighting for migrant worker rights. I still think twice before eating grapes. Looking back from a safe place with an adultish perspective, it was all magic and play. With the scars of a soldier, I often claim not to have had a childhood. Least of all, had space to play. But now, as an adult, I have space to play. I've created space to play. And for artists, play can be ritual. Play becomes ritual when we tap into it to arrive at a higher art practice. There's a quote by Comanche leader, Koana Parker, that says, we don't go into ceremony to talk about God. We go into ceremony to talk to God. And that's what ritual, that's what play, that's what art is. When I allow myself to play, I loosen the grasp of my ego and its many tentacles. A few weekends ago, visiting Botanical, a metaphysical shop in my neighborhood, the Perez sisters and owners of the shop greeted my friends and I with big hugs, smiles, and laughters. They didn't laugh at us, they were just laughing. I told her I had brought my friend for one of their care packages because he needed some good mojo. Before anyone comes into the shop, you have to do a bot dance, belted raw Angel, with both hands up in the air. Earlier this year, Ra, Angel, and I had been at a podcasting industry party. Sounds impressive, right? I know she remembers my hardcore staunch stance on dancing in public. While she slithered and glowed on the dance floor, I was in my corner nursing a vodka soda, ruminating on the Florida weather and the effects of humidity on works on paper. Do you ever think about that? She pointed at me a few times and pulled me in with her will. But I was anchored by a collection of crystals and stones I carried around, most of which I bought in her shop. Dance, come on. I remember you in Florida. Let it out. Wepa. I got stiff real quick. At the core of my soul, I'm fluid rainbows, luminescence. I dance naked to the drum circles that my heart beats. But here, outside of the astral projection, I keep the magic on lock underneath the resting bitch face. As my husband and friend waited for me. Confused by the fuss, I wept the bitch off my face and swayed side to side and flipped this and that. In this unexpected moment of play, I felt a kick of endorphins come over my body, just from the three seconds of wiggle and dance. In play, we shift from the static to the dynamic form. In this dynamic form, while playing, things always come up. Always good, but sometimes scary. Seeds from the subconscious spread out in the sandbox of play. Like redwood trees soaring to the sky in a blink of an eye, or roaring monsters, the type that live under your bed. Imagination and your inner dialogue get powerful here, but it's all good. We get scared when real thoughts arise, and we don't have ourselves to escape via likes and swipes. Oof. But wait a minute, did you catch that? I'll repeat it. We get scared when real thoughts arise, and don't have ourselves to escape. Did you hear it then? Cells to escape. I'm so intrigued by synonyms. Our phones are our cells, our cages, are they not? We retreat to them any time we have a second that might bring on reflection to make sense of it all. Sense. Eek, there's another one. A synonym. Sense as in logic. And sense as in a coin, as in value. Okay, I know, it's a stretch. I feel a rabbit hole wiggling under my feet. So let's stop here. But this is interesting. This is a whole conversation to have. Playing with synonyms is a fun game, my friends. Do you know how you say wife in Spanish? It's esposa. Do you know how to say handcuff in Spanish? Yep, you guessed it. It's esposa. Synonyms say more about a culture than they do about the things they're describing. It can be scary to find yourself alone in the sandbox, but this is part and parcel. This is where you reach in and get to know yourself to befriend yourself. Artists do this naturally because we spend so much time on our own creating. The good ones do anyway. There's something that happens, a quality, a vocabulary, an insight you acquire when you spend time with yourself and get to know, really know your voice, undiluted by others or overt influences. That makes an artist's work particularly strong or that's the kind of art that I'm drawn to. I can see it, you can see it. I make it a point to stay in the light and play with colors when I'm in the sandbox because by nature, I'm dark. I saw the inky darkness and caught its chill in the bowels of my being before I could cognitively defend myself. Poetry, right? (laughs) It's who I am. So the sandbox is my opportunity to make castles with light. The sandbox is my safe space, a sacred space. But one doesn't have to do it alone. I'm a loner, and unless I'm helping someone, it's hard for me to connect with people what I was kind of an only child I had siblings that were detachable in some way so it was kind of lonely-ish and I'm a Gemini so there's enough of me for conversation and fodder for banter point being you don't have to go at it alone you can play with others if you know how but start with yourself hey why so quiet let me know your take on the talk Go to studioconfessions.com and reach out to start a conversation. Or even better, leave a review on whichever platform you're listening on. It goes a long way. Want to see some visuals on the essence of the conversation? Go to Instagram and follow me at Art Engineer to see my collage work and inside look at the studio. Now let's get back to the conversation. And in my 30s, after leaving the doctor's office for my father-in-law's chemo treatment, I walked towards the forest at the center of the city, feeling so much sorrow from looking into his eyes and finding my husband's stare reaching out at me. The visit went well, but the oncoming cold season filled my subconscious with a subtle worry. Walking for a few blocks, hardly blinking, but breathing in a steady pace, I arrived at Central Park. The branches and vines leveraged the wind to welcome me with open arms. Into the forest I went, I bowed my head, as one does in the presence of the divine. I had my offering at hand, a huge dark roast coffee. It was central to this sacred play, because as we know now, when we enter in ceremony, it's not to talk about God, but to talk with God. And my gods love their coffee. At every turn, I entered deeper into a trance, and my load got lighter blown away with the wind and swept further into a feeling of resolution with the dancing leaves that consorted in swirls, I was ready to receive the awesome, and in a tender gust I heard the trees speak, we are all here. The gentle weight of those words spelled out letter by letter in my soul. They landed on my conscience like felt on velvet. I became its softness, and I stepped into the Upper West Side leaving the park but never really exiting the divine. This is play. This play is how I am an artist. This play is the religion that grants me ritual and access to the divine. It is this divine that is the secret to making art blindly, to collaging blindly. It is the same secret behind doing anything. You must have trust, have faith, and tap into your intuition. Sometimes our elders might show us the way in passing. Growing up, My grandmother worked in maintenance. She was a janitor for a posh convalescent home in Mar Vista, California. On an average day, she would return home with at least one fashion magazine, a Vogue, a Bazaar, a European magazine left behind by a fancy visitor to the home. Because it was a hospital setting, she had to wear all white. When she got home, she would stand like a ghost behind the Buddha and wait for me to run into her arms. Her thick, foamy hair, like cotton candy, tickled my face when I hugged her. This is a good memory. I must have seen her tear images from the magazines, because the vanity in front of the bathroom was covered with the pages from them. There was even a poster of a hunky man in speedos with a sensual covering of body hair. He was El Puma, a Latin singer from the 80s. Aside from the hunky guy, the vanity was the heart of the house. On either side of the vanity come altar. My grandmother had tied strings to nails and hanged all of her extravagant plastic earrings, and other colorful knickknacks They chimed when anything moved. Each one held its own mystery and power. Right below them were her collections of lipstick in a variety of colors, dark crimsons. Each color had its complementary in the way of nail polish on the other end. All this color and texture was set to the backdrop of collage. The beauty from the printed page activated that corner in our studio apartment into a luscious cabana-slash-altar to everything beautiful. And at its center was the mirror. I never saw either my grandmother or my aunt reflecting deeply in this space. But that's a sacred moment, done in solitude, so how could have I? Nor did I ever catch them staring into the mirror the way I'd seen women do on TV. They didn't really fuss. But they had set the stage for it. So I did. I would stand in front of the mirror and project onto myself the textures and colors of that altar instinctively. I gravitated to the red lipsticks. The red elicited a primal response to my primordial self. On more than one occasion, I grabbed a tube of lipstick and drew on my face. In many ways, I was getting ready for the battle of my childhood. The lipstick never made it to my lips or eyelids. I explored my femininity in other aspects of my childhood, like when I wore my aunt's boots and danced around the house. I recently came across a black smoking jacket at a thrift shop, the type that's all velvet to the touch and captures the light best when worn with leather or cheetah print. It was $10 and it fit like a glove, so I bought it. As I walked out with the jacket in my bag and the endorphins of the find weaned off, I wondered where the hell would I wear this to? When I told my collector friend, She quickly clasped, fabulous, wear it at home, clean the house with it, and it clicked. Yes, that's it, play, that ceremony and ritual, someone quick, get me a wig. I'd forgotten the power of play and its instant transformative power when accompanied with props and makeup. As adults, our sense of play is often perverse by sexuality and results to porn and masturbation, and that's perfectly fine, but we might be missing out on something here. Soft power is what you gain through play. It builds up confidence through imagination, and dare I say, visualization. This past weekend, I made the armature for sculpture I was triggered to make after I saw a book on papier-mâché or paper mache at the Housing Works, the Thrift Shop in Chelsea. The line was so long because everything was new or on sale or free or not free. It actually felt more expensive. But it's all a good cause, so shop on. But I couldn't wait, wouldn't wait, Standing in a line in New York is a precarious thing. You get your line cutters, your aggressive pushers who inch up on you and let you know what they bought by rubbing it on your back or worse. Add to that, it's a thrift shop. Then you get your crazies, like me. I've met soulmates and mentors in line of thrift shops. None I'd want to spend more than 15 minutes with. But it's enough to make a connection, usually. So I didn't get the book. My studio is already in full bloom with projects in different stages of completion. It's always rather exciting in there. Even when there's nothing going on, there are whispers of things wanting to be made, and ideas wanting to be explored. The papier-mâché book caught my imagination, though, and something needed to be made. It demanded it of me. So I decided to approach it with play. If I approached it in any other way, I'd be too critical, imposing my standards of painting or collaging on it. So I went to my recycling corner, where I stack all of my Amazon boxes i have inadvertently created pastiche of the Leaning Tower of Pisa and the Tower of Babel. And this is all before I get to the sandbox with the cardboard. Earlier that week, I'd been leafing a book on world mythologies, written exclusively for the likes of me. A cornucopia of symbols and images and very little words. One image that seared in my mind was that of Icarus in mid-flight. Lame, I know. In a sea of three-eyed blue gods, flying islands and mind glyphs, I choose Greek mythology. But it wasn't social conditioning this time, I promise. I wasn't drawn by the beauty of the physicality, which is half the allure of Greek mythology. It was the depiction of the wings Icarus used, or the painter used on Icarus, I should say. In his attempt to fly, they were small wings tied with ribbons, ribbon that flowed in the wind and clouds. It was poetry. He failed though, it didn't work but he looked great trying, and that's a plus. There was something in the imagery and how simple the story was portrayed visually, and that's what I wanted to explore. Also, subconsciously, I feel like there was a message in there for me, or even for you. This guy, Icarus, tried to fly and was able to pull it off. He did, but got his wax wings melted because he flew too close to the sun, and here, I think, is the pearl of wisdom for us. His demise only happened because, well, he chose wax, duh, but also because he lost his focus in the giddiness of flight. Moral of the story, you do you. Enjoy. But don't indulge in the good stuff along the way, or you'll lose yourself in the process, and you'll get burned and die. Check. Back in my studio, I made a little body out of cardboard and a wire hanger. Not sure how that wire hanger got to my house, but it worked. The two-foot figure already looks like he's all banged up from his mythical fall. The cheap tape, which I must have gotten from the 99 cent store, is already peeling off. Between the tape bandages, you can see his brown cardboard skin, which I like. His arms are extended on either side without the need of wings for now. This is where the wire hanger earned its keep in my closet all this time. My would-be angel is now on my bookshelf. Will I finish it? Maybe. Will I be horribly disappointed in myself if I don't? Nope. Did I love making him? Did he give me the same love for making him? Yes, yes, and yes, I'm emboldened with soft power, knowing I can sit there and create an angel from scratch, or at the very least, I can feel good that I'm repurposing some of the pillars of Amazon boxes holding up my foyer. The idea of creating an angel, even saying it as poetry, gives me access to ritual. To allow myself the time, the space, the material, and to entertain an idea, the muse. And let's go even deeper into the woo with poetry. I came with my prayer, a wish, an intention to create this little figure out of cardboard, tape, and the wretched wire hanger. And I made him, kind of. Now we're just waiting for the blue fairy to make him into a real boy. Both of us are, actually. This is the same play and poetry with which I approach life. Because what am I doing if I'm not living poetry in play? I've stumbled onto how to find the sublime and the basic. It's there. Like a kid digging for dinosaur bones in the sandbox, I found it, and more. My Little Angel was also an exercise in problem solving, and that's why school enforced play for a very long time. That was before standardized testing and after child labor laws were put into play. Play develops cognitive abilities in kids, and that helps them, and it can even help us now as adults to problem solve. Through it, we can conceptualize outcomes, and through trial and error in the physical, we can manifest, we can create, Here's your prompt, your mission, should you accept it. Build your own sandbox. Go to Home Depot, head towards the nursery, grab a kid. I mean, grab a plant. No, in all seriousness, if you don't have a metaphorical sandbox, this is your chance. This is your calling. How you go about it is up to you. Here are some ideas. It could be as easy as grabbing a sketchbook and using one page a day, or even every other day, whatever, but do more than not. Use that one page and cover it up. Get rid of all of the white empty space in its surface. And every time you do it, choose a different style of drawing or choose a different tool. One day do line drawing, one day do charcoal drawing, one day use your right instead of your left hand. Go to the art store and buy a different tool for every day of the week. Fun, right? Take it a step further. Make your kitchen table into a sandbox. Clear the table or get a big tray So you can move it when you have to eat, if that's the kind of thing you do. Pour real granulated sand on the tray, from the hardware store, or from the beach. If you don't like the texture of sand, or don't fancy the feeling of beach in your kitchen, get 1,000 Lego bits. No more, no less. And play. Each day, create something new. Snap a picture with your phone, and destroy it. Take it down so you can make something brand new the next day. Now you're playing. And then in doing so, you created a collection or a series of ephemeral sculpture, the performative element. Congratulations. You have a photo series to exhibit. You're welcome. That's it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, feel inspired and triggered from something you heard, please share it. You are the candle that can light endless flames with what moves you. I am Luis Martin, the art engineer, sharing with you what moves me.